you have a Bible this morning, turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians. Let's go to chapter 4. And we want to pick up our study in verse 17. Now this morning we want to look at the new man, the new woman in Christ Jesus. Now last week from verses 1 through 16, Paul spoke of this position of our walk in Christ. Our walk in God's love. And how do we walk in God's love? But in the unity of God's love, Paul brought that forth so beautifully. Now, when we speak of walking in Christ, our walk with Him speaks of our behavior. It also identifies with our manner of life, the way of the Christian life. And I like what we responded to last week, and that is on a daily basis. You see, it's very easy and comfortable uh, to come in here on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night and to be part of the body of Christ. And we say, well, this is my Christian walk. And that's true. But how do we act in this manner of life, in this Christian life? How do we act outside of the walls of the church? Tonight, this evening, maybe some of us will be with family, friends, loved ones. How do we act in our manner of life? Do they see, do they see Christ in us? Tomorrow morning, we, uh, we go to work, back to our workplace, and some of us back to school. Some of us might be making a trip and uh, meeting up with somebody or family members and such. And, and so, again, how do we act? What is the manner of life? Because my Christian life should be on a daily basis. Your Christian life should be on a daily basis. And so Paul speaks of this walk. Last week, verse 1, that our walk would be worthy of the call to which we've been called. Speaks of our vocation, our call to salvation. How is it that we walk? How is it that manner of life? So we've come to saving grace now. Do we represent Christ, the walk of the believer, a man or a woman, on a daily basis? And so Paul's going to bring this forth so clear. And he's going to step on some toes because it definitely stepped on my toes. Listen to verse 17 as we begin now. Paul says, This I say, therefore, and I testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. Then he explains how they walk in futility of their mind. Now, bottom line, either we are a Jew or a Gentile. I venture to say this morning that all of us, if not the majority of us, are Gentile. Now, if you're Jewish, praise God. But are you a completed Jew? Have we come to Christ? Now, if we're Gentile, are we still uh, the Gentiles of past? Now, the word Gentile was a strong word in the time of Christ. It spoke of a heathen, a, a pagan person, one without God. And so Paul says here so beautifully, our Christian walk, my manner of life, your manner of life, your personal walk as a believer must be to glorify God and to be a good witness, a testimony to others. It should not be uh, walking my manner of life, my personal walk as a believer, not like Gentiles. My B.C. days, 
not as heathens or non-believers. That's the translation for a Gentile. Our BC days, we walked in futility. Listen to the translation. We walked in vanity. We walked in emptiness. We walked in depravity of our minds. In other words, the way I conducted myself as a non-believer, I was, or you were also, depraved in our mind of understanding of who God is. The devil basically had a hold of us. Now, I remember before I came to Saving Grace, I would frequent the church on a Sunday morning, a holy day of obligation. I would frequent the church, you know, Christmas and Easter and such. And those are good, but what did I do the rest of the week? Did I represent Christ the rest of the week? And so Paul is dealing with the church at Ephesus that obviously there were some struggles there. You see, I can have that mind of not understanding. Well, I'm okay. I'm not that bad of a person. But we all need saving grace. And we're going to see that now. When we believe that theology, I'm okay, I was baptized. I'm okay, I'm a Christian. And I still haven't come to saving grace. I haven't made that true commitment to Christ. I, I let the devil in. I give the devil the foothold. And the devil will tell you, hey, you're okay. Just be good. I wonder how many good people are in hell today. Think about that. It's probably full of good people. Notice he goes on now to verse 18. Having their understanding darkened. Obviously, this is a non-believer. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance that is in them. Because of the blindness of their heart. Paul speaks of our past. Our past days without Christ. Our understanding. He speaks of our minds. We're in darkness. The darkness that he speaks here. The darkness of sin. That caused me to be, listen, alienated. Or the best translation there is estranged or a non-participant from life with God. Why? We ask the question. Because of our own personal ignorance. Now listen to the word ignorance. Obviously, it's simply translated, our own stupidity. Not that I don't get A's and B's at school, or I did not get A's and B's at school, but in my stupidity, listen, to the Scriptures, what the Word of God has to say. Because the Word of God says to me, I am a sinner. You are a sinner. That's why we come to saving grace. That's why we acknowledge and we ask the Lord, come into my life. Notice that he says that we alienate ourselves or we make ourselves estranged or a non-participant from the life of God. Oh, I call myself a Christian, but there's no life with God. Because of our ignorance, I don't understand the scriptures. Why? Because our hearts were blind. The word blind that Paul uses here, that our hearts were blind towards God's love. My heart, your heart, can so easily, listen to me now, Become callous, become hard, become cold towards God. Well, I'm not that what you're saying, Pastor Bob. I'm okay. I'm not that bad of a person. I don't fornicate. I don't commit adultery. I don't worship idols. And we can name the major sins. 
But have we come to saving grace? There's a scripture that's hounded me for years. I want you to listen to it. In Jeremiah chapter 17, verses uh, 9 and 10, Jeremiah writes these beautiful words that obviously comes from the throne room of God. And he speaks of man's heart. And guess what? Jeremiah had to deal with his own heart. And he says, the heart is deceitful. And it's desperately wicked above all things. And then he says, who can know the heart of God? And then God says, I know the heart. And I hold on to the reins of that heart. God knows my heart, church. God knows your heart. The psalmist says that God is the all-seeing eye. He sees all things. He knows all things. And we can't hide from that. And this morning, if we call ourselves Christian, I beg you, by the mercies of God, then be a true Christian. And listen to what Paul's going to say. It's going to get harder. It's going to get tougher. Because we can respond, listen, in our ignorance of the Scripture. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2.14. Paul says to the Corinthian church, and the Corinthians were like the Ephesians. The uh, Ephesians had many problems. There was some carnality there. But yet they were a beautiful church, a strong church. Paul built that church up for three years. But the Corinthians, they were definitely carnal. In fact, in the letter, Paul says to them, you're so carnal. And that's been so hard for a lot of pastors for many years. How can you be a Christian and how can you be carnal? It just doesn't fit. It's an oxymoron. Either you're Christian or either you're carnal. But how can you be both? And yet people find a way to be both. I've done it. You've done it. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, Paul says to the Corinthians, the natural man does not understand the things of the Spirit. They're silliness to him. Silliness. He uses the word, it's foolishness to them, but it's literally translation, it's silliness to you. Oh, yes, I'm a bad person. Oh, yes, I'm going to hell. And people don't want to believe it. Look at our United States of America. The polls, I, I really, the polls blow me away. 86% of the United States of America claims to be Christian but there's some other polls that they don't tell you about. There's a very small percentage that believe this is the Word of God. Old Testament, New Testament, Genesis to Revelation. There's a, a, a small amount of people that believe in the virgin birth. And so we call ourselves Christian, but are we truly born again of the Holy Spirit? Notice he goes on further. Look at verse 19. He says, who being past uh, feeling, speaking of our B.C. days, have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. Paul begins to just nail this thing down. Listen, you call yourself a Christian, then live like a Christian, walk like a Christian. But don't be involved in some of these sins. And so he says here in verse 19, in our past... We did not care about right or wrong. We were given over to our sinful ways. And then he describes them. Our lives were filled with all kinds of sexual sin. Our lives were filled with all kinds of immorality, greed, covetousness. And so Paul is hitting where it hurts. 
And again, you go, well, you know, I'm not that bad. But if any of these sins fit, we're going to be talking about lying. We're going to be talking about stealing. We're going to be talking about cursing. Paul had to deal with these things. Jesus, in speaking to the Jews in his time, listen to this verse. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 14. Now, Jesus is dealing with religious leaders. There was a group called the Sanhedrin. Paul belonged to that at one time as Saul of Tarsus. And you had the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. These were very religious people, thinking that everything was right. Listen to the verse. Matthew 15, 14 says, Let them alone, Jesus says. Because the disciples thought, hey, let's yank some of these sinners out. No, leave them alone. They are blind leaders of the blind. And if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Radical. These religious leaders were supposed to be uh, taking the Jews to the cross. And especially when they knew that Messiah was Christ. The Jews were blind to their law. The Jews were blind to their religious leaders. But what about Gentiles? Sometimes Gentiles are blind uh, to uh, the world standards. They rather get a hold of that than to get a hold of Christ. Many times Gentiles, listen to this statement, are blind to religion. Well, I'm, you know, I'm not that bad, but I'm, a, I'm not that religious either. It has nothing to do with religion. But it has everything to do with a relationship. Do you know your God? Do you know Christ? Has he come into your life? Has that new man, that new woman taken over in your life? Are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Paul is dealing with the church at Ephesus. But the Holy Spirit is also speaking to us this morning. Bottom line, church, I call myself, myself a Christian. You call yourself a Christian. There has to be change. I challenge myself daily and weekly. Is there change? Is there transformation? Because look at verse 20. Now, simple statement here. Paul says, but you have not so learned Christ. Radical. Paul is saying to the church at Ephesus, those things which were spoken of, now we just went through verses 17 through 19, are not what I learned. It's not what you have learned in Christ Jesus. If anything, we've learned to get out of that mold. So he exhorts them with love, compassion, grace. What is the Holy Spirit saying to us this morning? Now, change has to take place. There's a scripture that I love so much. Uh, it was part of my life when I came to Saving Grace 28 years ago. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, listen to what Paul says. If any man is in Christ, well, he's also speaking to the women. If any man, any woman in Christ, he or she is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all new things, all, all, all things have become new. Excuse me. That's the new man. That's the new woman in Christ. Paul speaks to one of the other churches and he says to them, examine yourself. See if you be in the faith. Test your salvation. Prove your salvation. See if you're in the faith. Now, I don't go around worried that I'm going to lose my salvation. 
But if I'm saved by grace through faith, then I should be walking with Christ. Don't let the enemy take a foothold. Now, there is a a test that I use and that I share from the pulpit. Because I've come to saving grace, and some of you maybe have recently come to the Lord. But there is a test. Husbands, go to your wife. You've been a Christian six months. You've been a Christian, you know, six years. Go to your wife and ask her, honey, has there, have you seen change in my life? Wife, go to your husband and ask, honey, have you seen change in my life? You'd be surprised. Tell her, tell him, be honest with me. Now, husbands, you love your wife. Uh, wife, you love your husband. And sometimes we're not too honest. Now, here's the second challenge. Go to your children. Especially if you have little ones and they come here in the back and they're taught right from wrong. I'll tell you what, your kids will bust you before the Holy Spirit gets a hold of you. You know, Pastor Jay, here's all what's going on in your house back there. Now, don't get scared and don't come back next week, but those kids tell them everything. My mommy and daddy were fighting all the way to church. Pray for them. And then when Pastor Jay sees them, oh, hi, brother. God bless you, sister. But that's a kid. A kid's not going to lie to you. Jesus said we need to have childlike faith. So what I'm trying to say, the second test is ask your daughter, ask your son, have I changed? Your mom and I have been going to church. Have you seen change in me? You'd be surprised. It happened to me years ago when my seven, eight-year-old said, well, Dad, you're not drunk anymore. Whoa. Take a knife and stab me in the heart. But you think you're fooling everybody. You see? And so you come to Christ so beautifully, but you have not so learned Christ. Look at verse 21. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. Paul's telling the church at Ephesus nothing new because he knew them. They knew him. There is no excuse, he tells them, because you have heard of him, speaking of Jesus Christ. You have been taught by him, speaking of the Holy Spirit. You know, I was looking at this verse, and I kind of did some research. Paul's writing to the church at Ephesus about 35 years after Christ's death. I'm thinking there's got to be some Ephesians, maybe a lot more than we think, that were present in Jesus' ministry. And they heard the gospel preached in the Galilee. They heard the gospel preached in Jerusalem. And so Paul says, if indeed you have heard him. And even if not personally we've heard of Christ, the Holy Spirit has taught us. The Holy Spirit has shown us. And so Paul is sharing with them that you're taught by the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is it that you are taught? The truth. Listen. The truth of Christ. The truth of who Jesus is. The Messiah. The Savior of the world. You know, to this day, 2,000 years later, there's still people that think Jesus is a good man. 
a good humanitarian. I mean, he fed the 5,000, and the next week he fed 4,000. I mean, he healed 10 lepers. He's a good man. No, Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Have we heard and have we been taught the truth of Christ? There's a radical scripture, most of you know it. In John 14, 6, Jesus says this about himself. Because he is the Son of God, Savior of the world. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. It's a radical statement. Because, see, we hear the terminology, many roads lead to God. My question is, there are many roads that lead to God. Which God? Which God? Be careful because Jesus says he is the way of the truth and the life. And so Paul was saying, have you been taught the truth of Christ? And the truth is that Jesus is the Christ. Look at verse 22 now. He continues this. And he uses this terminology, listen, that you put off. Now when Paul begins to speak about putting off and then putting on, it was a garment term that was used. And it speaks about taking off a soiled garment and putting on a clean garment. And so guys, if, if you've ever worked in a job where it's sweaty and dirty and oily, I worked in machine shops for 16 years, I know. And we go to work with our, you know, uniform on and such. And uh, majority of the time, we only could wear them that one day. So we had to change the clothes for five days. Because we would get into everything. And you know, when you got home, you wanted to take that thing off. And you wanted to get yourself showered up and cleaned. And then you're ready to go. Now you put on the new garment. Well, listen to what Paul says. That you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and basically the deceitful lust of our flesh. So Paul says, listen, church, you've come to saving grace now. You've come to the born again experience. You're that new man that we're talking about. You're that new woman in Christ Jesus. You're that new young person in Christ Jesus. Then put off, cast off. Take off that old garment of your former way of life. Your former manner of life. The new King James says your former conduct. The King James says your former conversation. And the conversation is better translated, uh, your behavior, your manner of life, as your old man, your old woman was in your B.C. days. Notice how, again, Paul describes our past life. Our past life that grows rotten through and through, uh, full of lust and deception of our flesh. Now, some people cannot handle that we're basically sinners. And some people cannot handle that you're no good. I'm no good. We need a Savior. I'm unrighteous. You're unrighteous. Oh, I could go to church as long as I live, and I can call myself a Christian as long as I live. I can drop checks into the agape box. and you know. But am, am I born again of the Holy Spirit? Or am I still like Nicodemus, a very religious man? 
And so it's important to see this. Now, before Christ, before we came to Christ, we were no good. We were rotten through and through. And so it's important that we see this. And so I respond, I was not that bad. You were not that bad. But when you come to grips with it, bottom line, you were that bad. Bottom line, I raised my hand, I was that bad. Again, we need Christ. Now, I'm going to give you three verses real quick. It's called Part of the Roman Road. And I remember reading this years ago. But Paul begins to describe who I am before Christ, before coming to saving grace. In Romans chapter 3, verse 10, Paul says there is not one righteous person. Not one. Well, I'm not that bad. No, not one righteous person. The only one that's righteous is Christ. And now I come to Christ, and the only reason I am righteous, you are righteous, it's because of Jesus. Righteousness is better understood. I am now right living for God. I was unrighteous. I was wrong living for God. Praise God that the Holy Spirit allows us to understand. In Romans chapter 6, verse 23, uh, in Yes, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. He says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So there's not one righteous, no, not one. And then all of a sudden he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And then Romans 6, 23. This is the antidote, if you may. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of life is eternal life. Only through Christ. Only through Christ. Be careful when we consider ourselves good. If you've been here in time past, I'm just a lump of clay. You're just a lump of clay. But praise God that he has saved that lump of clay and that he died for that lump of clay. But we need regeneration. You know, there's a lot of people in the world today. They're good. And their whole concept is, I need to get rich. You take a rich man, and he's really building a portfolio, and if he, he's into the know, and, and who knows who, and who's rich, who are the Bill Gates of the world, if you may. And so that type of person, uh, even some of the ladies, Oprah Winfrey, if you can get your names on the Forbes list, imagine just being the top 10, the top 25, come on. That's not going to get you into the kingdom of God. But some of those people give to great organizations, give to the poor, and I mean, they're givers. But that's not going to get you into the kingdom of God. So then we have other groups. Well, listen, I just want to do good in school. And great, we should achieve. We should strive to do good in school if you're going to school. Praise God if you have the mind and, and the ability and you get the A's and the B's. And you become a Crimson Scholar. You, be, you get onto the Dean's List. You know, I mean, all these perks. My, my child is, you know, a, a scholar at their, at their school. Great. But is your name written in the Book of Life? That's so important to know. And so keeping that in mind, there's not one righteous, all have sinned, 
The wages of sin is death. The gift of eternal life is in Christ. Listen to this verse now. Mark chapter 8, verse 36, Jesus says this. What does it profit a man? What does it profit a woman to gain the whole world but lose their own soul? Imagine standing in the throne room of God on judgment day, and you have the Forbes list. And you go, look, Lord, I was number 12, man. And I gave. Katrina, when it happened, I gave. When the tsunami hit in the South Pacific, I gave. That just makes you a good humanitarian. But it does not save you. What does it profit a man? What does it profit a woman to gain the whole world but lose his or her own soul? Look at verse 23. takes it a step further now. And be renewed, church. You're a Christian. You're born again of the Holy Spirit. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. This is where that change comes. This is where that transformation. So Paul's warning of the church at Ephesus. Instead of your past way of life, there must be a spiritual renewal of your thoughts and your attitudes. There must be change. That's at 2 Corinthians 5.17. There has to be metamorphosis, a transformation, a regeneration. Paul himself, listen, religious leader, doctor of the law. Paul was part of the Sanhedrin. Paul was a Pharisee of Pharisees. Paul boasted that he studied under Gamaliel, one of the greatest teachers. Gamaliel was called the beauty of the law. He was so into the law. So was Paul. But in Acts chapter 9, on the road to Damascus, Paul met his Christ. There was a transformation. I'm always intrigued by that statement. The light shone round about. And Paul says he was blinded. And he responds, is that you, Lord? He recognized it was the power of God. And there he was. Blinded now. This powerful man, letters in hand, going to Damascus. Bring back Christians on trial. Consent to their death. He consented to Stephen's death. Now he's led like a, a little puppy dog to Damascus, to a man called Ananias. And there Ananias treated him for three days. Just served him. And Paul was such an evil man. That when God said, Ananias, you're going to lay hands on this man, and he's going to see. And Ananias didn't want to do it. Lord, do you know who this guy is? He opens his eyes. He sees me. He's got letters in hand. He's going to take me. Paul had a bad reputation. But there had been a change. Three days. Transformation. Oh, I believe the Holy Spirit was speaking to Paul. The Holy Spirit. All of a sudden, all the Old Testament passages were coming together. Be renewed in the spirit of your mind. Look at verse 24. And that you put on the new man. I like this. That you put on the new woman, uh, which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Again, that garment. Now put it on. Put on that garment of righteousness. Put on the new woman, the new man, because God has created you now 
in him a new man, a new woman. Now, we are born in the likeness of God, but I must come to righteousness because God has created you in his image does not save you. You must come to saving grace. Now, there's a teaching that I received years ago, and I'm going to explain it to you this evening, this morning. It's called a trichotomy of man. The trichotomy of man speaks of the threefold position of man. When we come into this world, listen uh, to the agenda. We come in body, soul, and spirit. Like it or not, we come in to this world. We're born with Adamic sin. We come in body, soul, spirit. The spirit is last. But there has to be this transformation. There has to be this change. There has to be this flip in my life, in your life. And now I recognize I am a sinner. And I am unrighteous. I need God. And I cry out, Lord, save me. And this flip happens in my life. And now no longer body, soul, and spirit, but as born again of the Holy Spirit, I am spirit, soul, and body. The flesh is last. Now it's interesting, the flesh is still there. The flesh is still there. Now, one preacher said it years ago, you're saved, but your flesh isn't saved yet. You've been a Christian long enough, you know that that flesh raises up his ugly head. One preacher said, moms, dads, pray for your teenagers. Oh, but you don't understand, my teen is, is born again of the Holy Spirit. My teen is saved. And the preacher responded, your teen is saved, but uh, their hormones are not. And that's bottom line. And so we must come to saving grace. There must be transformation. Notice now verse 25. Paul is going, he'd been speaking about our past. He'd been speaking about the new man in Christ. Take off the old garment, put on the new garment, the garment of righteousness. We should have nothing to do with this and that. He names some sins, but now he, he speaks about we are not to grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The word grieve in the Greek is simply, when I sin, I make the Holy Spirit sorrowful in my life. The Holy Spirit is not a, as effective in my life. Now, the Holy Spirit will not leave you nor forsake you. The Holy Spirit's with us. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 19 and 20, Paul says, Know you not that you are now the temple of the Holy Spirit that's within you. The Holy Spirit tabernacles within me, within you. And the Holy Spirit is there to tell you, Bob, he pats you on the shoulder quickly. He says, that's sin. Now, I've been in Christ long enough. Some of you have been in Christ long enough. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. We call it our consciousness, but it's the Holy Spirit in my life, the Holy Spirit in your life. You know when you did wrong, and the Spirit right away checks you. Bob, that was wrong. And you just put your head down, and you're busted. Man, we need to have our sin exposed more and more and more. I'm reminded of King David. He committed sin with Bathsheba. We know that. He tried to cover his sin uh, in getting Uriah, her husband, out of the way. 
Eventually, David accomplished what he wanted. He wanted Uriah dead. And so he found a heated battle, sent him there. Uriah, in loyalty to his king, went, died. David thinks nobody knows. As a king, he marries Bathsheba. Everything is good. Until God sends Nathan the prophet. Nathan the prophet comes to David with a riddle, uh, a parable. He says, there was this family that had a pet lamb. And then some family members came to visit. They didn't have anything to cook for them. And so they, they, the owner killed the pet lamb. And the kids were sorrowful and such. But they killed the pet lamb so they could feed everybody. David, what should I do with that kind of man? David said, I would kill that man. Nathan the prophet said, David, you're that man. The Bible says that David repented of his sin. Read Psalm 32 and Psalm um, 51. They're called the repentant Psalms of King David. And sometimes we have to be taken to that place of brokenness. So he begins here in verse uh, 25, excuse me. We're not to grieve the Holy Spirit. He says, therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Here's that old garment again. Having put away that old garment, put away all lying and now telling your neighbor the truth. Because we belong to each other, we're all part of the body of Christ, the ecclesia, the called out ones. Now, a lot of times we say, well, you know, I lied a few times, but it's a white lie. When we were growing up in Catholicism, it would be considered a venial sin. Well, a sin is a sin before the eyes of God. A lie is a lie before the eyes of God. We're going to read some scripture later on. It's going to blow you away. No liar, no drunkard will get into the kingdom of God. And so Paul says here, Put away lying now. Let each one of you speak truth with your neighbor because we're all members of the body of Christ. Look at uh, verse 26. Now he goes from lying and he speaks about anger. And right there, there's a checkpoint for most of us men. Anger sets in. But ladies, you're not alone. I've heard you get angry too. We all get road rage once in a while. We have a sweet a 78-year-old woman that comes to our first service. And she goes, Pastor Bob, pray for me. I'm going to California for two weeks. I go, oh, road rage. Oh, no, I don't drive in California, she said. <laughs> Poor Marjorie. But listen to what Paul says here. Be angry and do not sin. So that means I, I do get angry. You do get angry. But be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath. Don't sin, what Paul's saying, uh, by letting anger to gain control over you. Again, we got rid of that. Let it go. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry. Husbands, don't raise your hand, but how many times we went to bed late, angry, your wife's angry, Nobody says, I'm sorry to nobody. And then you say, well, I'm not even going to go to bed. I'll sleep on the couch. And you get up in the morning, and you're all chweck, and you wonder why. Years back, we weren't Christian yet. My Uncle John 
we hadn't met at the bar, all the guys, we used to do that all the time. And he comes in, and you ever see when somebody's back is out, he's leaning to the side, the Tower of Pizza, right? I go, hey, Uncle John, what happened? He goes, oh, man, I slept on the couch last night. Well, what's the reason? Why did you sleep on the couch, Uncle John? I'm not married yet. He goes, oh, your aunt and I got into it. And I ain't going to go to bed with her after that. I said, so you slept on the couch? He goes, yep. And now you can't walk around too good. Nope. Well, what are you going to do tonight? Well, I guess I'm going to sleep on the couch again. <laughs> and so that's a lesson I learned years ago. Please say good, you know, before you can say good night, say I'm sorry. Get a good night's rest. But let's take it further. Maybe we got into it with our boss. Maybe we got into it overnight or during the day. Now it's nighttime. I know my boss's number. Do I have the guts to call her, to call him? Hey, I blew up to you. I blew up on you today, and I apologize. Forgive me. Oh, you're going to blow that boss away, but you're going to feel a lot better. Dads, listen to this one. The Bible says we're not to provoke our children. Do we say I'm sorry to our kids before we go to bed? So this is what Paul's saying. Be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your anger, on your wrath. Sometimes we have to say, I'm sorry. To a mom, to a dad, a brother, a sister. Sometimes we have to say, I'm sorry to a Christian at church. Here's the key. Once you confess it, you will feel a lot better. Now, when we don't confess our sin, when we don't ask for forgiveness, look at verse 27, nor give place to the devil. Oh, we can so easily give place to the devil. Don't give place, don't give room. I like this translation. Don't give an inch to the devil because he'll take a foot. Don't give him the opportunity again. Why? Because anger, lying, and, and cheating... It gives a mighty foothold uh, to the devil. We let that devil in. We open that little door. You say, Pastor Bob, what do you mean? You see, we're Christian. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. But, you know, I have uh, cyberspace at home. I have a computer. You have a computer. Be careful. We can so easily click on uh, to pornography. We can so easily click on to a chat room. You're in the confines of your house. Nobody knows. The Bible says God is the all-seeing eye. He knows all things. And so Christians can so easily let the enemy in. Well, I just lie a little bit. I just, you know, stole a little bit. Well, I, you know, I cheated a little bit. Be careful, church. He goes on to stealing. Look at uh, uh, verse 28. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor working with his hands what is good uh, that he may have something to give him who has need. If you're a thief, this is what Paul is saying. Stop. Stop stealing. Begin using your hands for honest work. And then give generously to others. 
years back, I used to go to New Mexico State Correctional Facility, and we used to do Bible studies there. Pastor Jay used to go with me. And I'm amazed when you walk into the facility and there's this section, there's this wall inside of the facility of the offices of the things that the inmates have made. These men are so good with their hands. They take a fountain pen and they take the plastic inside and they melt it down, they stretch it, and they form it. They got these beautiful butterflies. And I'm going, they did that with a fountain pen? In our chapel that we used to go there, there was a beautiful wood cross. And it was just a simple wood cross. Well, this inmate that was coming asked for permission if he could get some wood cutting tools. And the inside of the cross, he carved the Rose of Sharon. It was beautiful. And I've seen these guys. They have such talents. Put them to work. Put them to use. No, they're out there doing drug deals and such, and then they come back. And so Paul is saying, let him who stole steal no more. Well, what about the Christian that robs God? You say, wait a minute, Pastor Bob. How do I rob God? In Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I, you have robbed God in your tithes and your offerings. But here's another pet peeve that I have. Christians that cheat on their taxes. Well, that's the uh, U.S. government. They have too much. <laughs> Bible says that we are to pay uh, to the king. Remember when uh, they asked Jesus, should we pay taxes to Nero? He said, whose inscription is on there? And give to Nero what belongs to Nero. Give to God what belongs to God. And so we see lying. We see the cheating. We see uh, the stealing. But listen to the cursing now. It's another pet peeve because I struggled with it. Verse 29 says, Let not uh, no corruption, corrupted word uh, proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification or the building up of the body of Christ that it may impact or impart grace to the hearers. hearers. Don't use foul language if you're Christian. Don't use abusive language if you're Christian. Don't use cursing language if you're Christian. Let everything you say be good and helpful, so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Let your speech, your words, to build the body of Christ. Most of you know that James chapter 3 speaks of the tongue. And James just spends some ample time on this little member of the body that can create a forest fire. And I like what James says. We can control the animals with a bit in their mouth. Now, years back when I was back in Southern California, not a Christian, I loved the racetrack. I used to go to Santa Anita Racetrack, Hollywood Park, Del Mar. I liked them all. And I loved the racetrack. And I loved the majestic animals, these thoroughbreds. They're beautiful. They're gorgeous. 
And I'm blown away because we would go to the paddock and then we would go to the rail. We'd see them go by. These horses, some of them, 1,500 pounds. And then they got this jockey that weighs 105 pounds. And he's got a hold of the reins. These little guys are strong. And they got a bit in the horse's mouth and he controls them. Unbelievable. And then James says, you have these huge ships. And you have this little rudder, and it controls them. But this little member of the body inside your mouth can start a forest fire. Be careful as Christians if we're still cursing. James says, with this mouth, I worship God. And with the same mouth, I curse. With these hands, I worship God, and then I do mischief. Should not be. And so if I call myself Christian, there should be that place. I am a new man, a new woman in Christ. Because transformation has come. Then he goes on to verse 30. Look at it. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed. I like that. For the day of redemption. We said the word grieve. Don't, don't make the Holy Spirit sorrowful or sad in your heart. Don't bring the Holy Spirit to that place of sorrow. The Holy Spirit is not as effective in my life, your life, when I sin. That's why confession needs to take place. Don't grieve God's Holy Spirit by the way you live. Remember, Paul says, Speaking of the Holy Spirit, He is the one that has sealed you. That seal, that stamp of approval, that stamp that says, God's saying, that's one of mine. You've been sealed by the Holy Spirit unto the day of redemption. Uh, now, I'm, basically, I'm redeemed now, but the day of redemption is when I come into the kingdom of God. Gives me that new body. I'm heaven-bound forever now. Man, that seal of the Holy Spirit. He knows exactly who I am. He knows exactly who you are. You're one of mine. Enter the kingdom of God. Now look at this. Paul's going to finish up these last two verses. Very strong. We're speaking about the new man in Christ, the new woman in Christ. We've spoken about our past, our B.C. days. And we've seen lying, we've seen stealing, we've seen cursing from the mouth. Uh, look at this one, verse 31. Let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger, let all clamor, let all evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Christians need to get rid of some of these sins, obviously. And if any of these are part of your forte and you're still a Christian... Man, do something about it. Not, not to me. You need to go before God. But listen to, he says, get rid of bitterness. The Greek word here is translated, get rid of the poison of evil language. That's the translation. Get rid of wrath. Now listen to the word wrath here. Speaks of rage. Speaks of rage. Uh, what we mentioned of solitarsis. Before he comes to saving grace in Acts chapter 9, he was gathering Christians 
The Bible says that he was breathing out threatenings. And so this word wrath, this word speaks of rage, when the nostrils would flare in and out. And men, you know what I'm talking about. We can get to that anger so much. It starts to eat you up. And then he speaks of a different anger. Look at point three. Get rid of this anger. Speaks of violent anger. Anger that seeks vengeance. Anger that speaks of a strong passion in this anger. On Wednesday night, we're going through the book of Joshua, and we shared that passage in, in the book of Deuteronomy. That God says, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Let God take care of your enemies. Get rid of anger, violent anger. Get rid of clamor. Uh, this is a strange word. The translation is get rid of the outcry of a tumult. Get rid of the outcry of a controversy. Get rid of the outcry of an uproar. Possibly uh, you're, you know, crying out for a riot condition. But get rid of that. Get rid of evil speaking. This is speaking blasphemy. You could be speaking blasphemy towards God or blasphemy towards your brother or your sister in Christ. Evil speaks of blasphemy here or railing about others. And then he says the point six here, all types of malicious behavior, all types of wicked behavior, get rid of it once and for all. And so Paul comes to the conclusion now, look at verse 32, and be kind one to another. How do I do that? Only through God's love. Be kind to one another. Be tender-hearted to one another. Forgiving one another, even as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. In years past, people have done things to me, done things to you, done things to this ministry, and it's hard to forgive. But you must go to the Lord. I'm reminded of the scripture when Jesus is on the cross. He's getting ready to give up the ghost. He's been beaten. He's been nailed to the cross. Remember, they took a crown of thorns and they placed it on his head. They took a reed and they beat on him. They opened his back, 39 stripes. They pulled on his beard, spit on him. Everything imaginable. The Bible says there was tens and thousands of angels waiting for the snap of Jesus' words, and they would have become toast. Everybody in Jerusalem, but not Jesus. When he's hanging on the cross, he utters these words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Oh, Lord, that's tough. You don't know what they did to me. And you're looking at Jesus on the cross, and nobody's ever nailed us to the cross. Nobody's ever put a, a thorn of crown of thorns on my head. Nobody's ever opened up my back with 39 stripes. Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Look at verse 32 again. Be kind and considerate to each other. How do I do this with Christ's love? Be tenderhearted one to another. How do I do this with Christ's love? The word tenderhearted speaks of having compassion, being sympathetic to each other. He says, be kind and considerate, forgiving one another. This is the next point. Pardon one another with kindness. Let it go, church. 
Just as God through Jesus Christ has forgiven you, forgive others. It's hard sometimes because we do hold on to grudges and we don't let go. It's a proven fact scientifically that there's people because of unforgiveness in their hearts, they will die. Years back in the late 60s, the mid-60s, I can't remember, uh, the Tate-LaBianca murders. One of the daughters of the LaBiancas, husband and wife, they were brutally murdered. The daughter couldn't handle it. She couldn't forgive them. Remember, they caught everybody, Charlie's girls and all that stuff. They've all been sentenced. Most of them, probably, I think they're all still in prison. But she couldn't let go. There is a documentary. She's a Christian. It's called Unforgiveness. And in that documentary, she was dying. She was down to skin and bones. The doctor says, there's nothing I can do for you. You're killing yourself. You need to forgive. She goes, I can't. The story goes that the doctor told her. The doctor said, you need to find a Christian friend and let that Christian friend talk to you. The person she talked to was from Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. And little by little, she took this victory. She had to let go. You know what the irony is on this? Now, the crime's been committed. The people have to pay for that crime. But you, the family member, have to suffer with it because your loved one was brutalized to the point of death. And most of these people, praise God in a sense, it hurts when it's happened to you, but praise God, they go into the jail system, they go into the prison system, they get saved. And then they have to struggle because they're asking for forgiveness. They have to live with that the rest of their life. And so Paul's saying here, be kind one to another, tenderhearted one to another, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Radical statement. Let it go if you're struggling with that. Because it will eat you alive. I want to read two verses to you real quick. Just listen to it. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11, Paul said, he brings this all together now. Paul says to the Corinthians, now they were a carnal church. He says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, or sodomites nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will enter the kingdom of God. And then he concludes, And such were some of you, but you were washed now, but you were sanctified, set apart, uh, and you were justified, just like it never happened, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, by the Spirit of God. That's forgiveness, church. That's forgiveness, and so, back in my B.C. days, I struggled. I'm not that bad of a person. I drink a little bit. I lie from time to time. But I'm not that bad. I've never stabbed nobody. I've never killed nobody. I've never committed adultery or fornication. And so we pride ourselves. But there's always some kind of sin that can nail you. Listen to this passage of Scripture. I'm going to read it in the King James 
And then I'm going to read it in the New Living Translation. In Revelation 21, verse 8, John the Beloved, he says, But the fearful and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So John's saying, listen, you're in hell now. The time is you're going to come out of hell and you're going to go to the second death and that's the lake of fire. Listen to the New Living Translation. Revelation 21 verse 8. But cowards who turn back from following me, those who are unfaithful to me, and the corrupt and the, and the murderers and the immoral and those uh, conversing with demons... And idol worshipers and all liars, their doom is in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur. This is the second death. Now the King James uses the word sorceries or sorcerers. It's the Greek word pharmakia. And pharmakia speaks of the magical arts. And so, you know, uh, reading of the tea leaves, reading of the palm, going to a, a psychic reader... Uh, looking at your horoscope. And so we can understand that. But pharmakia also speaks of illegal drugs, the sale and the partaking of illegal drugs. And these are scriptures that nailed me years ago. Call myself a Christian, but I'm selling dope on the side. I'm drinking to excess. I'm gambling to excess. These are not what a Christian is supposed to be. You're a new man. You're a new woman in Christ. There has to be change. Change.